Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that challenges our guests to tell three song stories so we can tap into the way music binds itself to memories to get to know them in a way that normal old interviewing just doesn't touch. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Dr. Sharon E. Cern. She's a professor in the Department of Biological Sciences at Florida Gulf Coast University. She's been here for 15 years. Sharon's a scientist, an educator, and an artist. Her cool website is steampunkphage.com. Besides teaching cell biology, doing research and making visual art, she recently turned to theater, first performing with the Ghostbird Theater Company and more recently New Phoenix Theater, both here in Fort Myers. She's also a martial artist and closely follows FGCU women's basketball. Sharon is originally from Puerto Rico and has lived in New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, Texas, New Jersey, North Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, and Florida following family and career. She earned her BS in chemical engineering from the Johns Hopkins University where she played varsity volleyball for a year. She then worked in industry as an engineer for Exxon, designing equipment for oil refineries and a production manager making soap for Procter & Gamble before going to graduate school. She started her Ph.D. work at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and transferred to the University of Alabama, Birmingham with her laboratory where she completed her Ph.D. in biochemistry. She conducted postdoctoral work at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and then Tulane University in New Orleans. While there, she became the proud mother of her now 20-year-old son. She'll be celebrating her 29-year wedding anniversary with her husband in two days. They share their home with a 5-year-old African gray parrot and a 23-year-old blue-fronted Amazon parrot. So I imagine it can get kind of squawky around there. Richard and I met Sharon when we did our first live show at the 2018 Sanibel Island Writers Conference, and she has been on the list ever since, and now it is that time. Hey there, Sharon. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Uh, squawky, is that correct? Uh, yeah. There's, they actually talk more than they squawk, but there's a lot uh, of noise in the house. Yeah. They repeat anything. Oh, yeah? So they're solid talkers. Yes, yes. Uh, um, uh, Pippa is an African gray. She She's the, the best talker, and she is now running lines with me for my new um, play that I'm working well, on. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, uh, so do you play music in the background when you're in the lab? Um, in the lab, uh, typically no. No? No. I mean, I think sometimes it's on some of the students will turn it on, but it's typically not my choice. It's, it's what they're, what's gotcha. going on. Yeah, yeah. So if you're working just as your own self, you're not putting music on. No, no, no. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so biochemistry, viruses, all this stuff, was this like deep into your past? I mean, it looks like your resume and, you know, this has like been your life since you were high school student practically, it looks like. Is that uh, correct? Uh, um, viruses? Uh, no. It, it, my path has kind of gone around in different places. Um, I kind of wanted to go to art school when I was in high school, but I was not encouraged to do so. Um, they thought, well, you know, you're good at science and math. You should ah. be pre-med or an engineer. So that's how it all took off from there. But I've always liked what I liked about science and, and, and art is is the creativity and the problem solving that goes along with all that, which is what I enjoy. So I pulled different aspects of of me into whatever I'm doing. Hmm. Have you ever come across any music because of your students that have stuck with you or maybe colleagues? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I'd have to think about that one. Um, I don't know. We'll swing back <laughs> yeah, to we'll that one. Back so to that uh, one. what was the musical background of your childhood? Um, we didn't listen to a lot of music um, growing up. It was mostly radio, talk radio, um, 
uh, our aftercare was um, my grandma's house, and she usually just had uh, talk radio shows on. Um, she was an avid um, gambler when it came to the horse races. So whenever oh. there was a horse race going on, she'd turn that over and, and stop whatever. And this was in Puerto Rico? She, this was in Puerto Rico. How long were you there? Um, Until so, what age? So I – Grew up there. I uh, my dad worked for the federal government for four years. Um, uh, so when I was age eight to about eleven, um, we lived in Albany for a couple of years, in Boston for a couple of years, but then moved back to Puerto Rico, finished middle school and, and high school, and then went oh. off to college. Um, but growing up, so I guess my formative years when I was a little little, um, my mom was working at the time. And so it was my grandma who was our aftercare and my great aunt who was our godmother. So we call her a madrina. And so between the two of them, they would just have the talk radio on or the horse races. And hmm. the other one. So no records being spun um, or anything like that? The only memory that I have was when I was really young. Um, we used to have a working record player. Um, I think I must have been five or six. And my mom had one album. It was The Carpenters. Okay. So she'd go around singing in the house, um, and I didn't speak English at the time. I didn't understand what she was singing, singing, and there was one particular song that I thought the lyrics – so my brother's name is Eric and mine is Sharon, and so it was about hurting each other, and so I kept hearing Eric and Sharon, and I couldn't <laughs> figure out what the song was about, but my mom loved that song. So, um, um, But it wasn't until um, elementary school that we – were able to buy a cassette. I remember it was a proud moment where my mom said, you each get to pick a cassette. And, oh. and what I um, – um, I think we must have been 11. And I picked Sean Cassidy. Um, that was that was. The Did you I pick got. it because you knew the music or you just liked the cover? Um, I think <laughs> both. Um, and then I just fell in love with um, – I forget the name of the song, but when I was 16 in school, and so I would actually have a little skit and dance to that song. And oh. yeah, the second album was or cassette was a uh, one that my mom picked. So we also had Barry Manilow, but that was her choice, and so that's not the one that I gravitated towards. It was mostly Sean Cassidy. So yeah. did you get to do any theater as a kid in like middle school or high school? Not at all. I was a super super shy kid. Um, I you know I I wouldn't be able to get up and talk to people. I mean, I was, I, my mom would take me to, force me to go to birthday parties and I would just sit by her the entire mm. time. So that has changed. That is no longer the case. But um, no, I did not do um, any theater till just um, this January, the first production. Yeah. Hmm. We'll get into that a little bit yeah. later. Um, uh, visual art. Were you doing visual art as a kid too? Because I know uh, that's something you've pursued as a grown-up. Yeah. So when I was um, probably about six, my um, my parents thought that my brother was going to be the pianist. I was going to be the artist and my youngest sister the dancer. That was And so there was a piano that was bought that my brother never stuck with that eventually I inherited, which I didn't pick that up. And then my sister – so anyway, it went on and on. But um, I got put in art classes when I was six. I remember going to – Someone's house was the weirdest thing. I would just paint in this patio. Like and, a private lesson basically? Uh, yeah, like a private lesson. I was as a little kid doing pastels and oils and things like that. And that was kind of my, my thing. I was the only – you know, we were three kids. I was the only one doing this. And I remember liking it and just taking little art classes in the community. But I tried taking art in high school. But based on the curriculum, it was pretty prescribed if you were, you know, pre-med or whatnot. You had to take certain science and math mm. classes. And so I always try to fit an art elective, and I was never, ever able to fit art into my schedule. So that fell through the cracks. And, hmm. yeah. <clears throat> uh, besides that piano, was there any other music being played around you on instruments by, you know, relatives, friends, family, neighbors? So it was typical. So in Puerto Rico, so the Christmas holidays is a big thing. So paranda music and everybody would get their maracas and their tambourines out and and, 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 and sing. So that, that kind of music, sort of um, festive uh, Christmas style music, everybody got involved in and would start dancing. Hmm. 
Um, and so you never played an instrument? I, I played piano for a year. That was pretty much it, yeah. And as a grown-up, you've never returned to it? Um, my son started playing the guitar in middle school, and I tried it. But as he was learning, I picked it up to see, but it never I, – I could never get it going. Hmm. So, is yeah, he still playing at all or – no, no, he no. Um, my husband is now. Oh, yeah. So he is he, that same guitar. At, uh, the same guitar, <laughs> <laughs> and he'll sit down every once in a while and start plucking at the guitar. Um, so yeah. So his my my husband's family, all his brothers play guitar. So oh. I think that's why he chose not to when he was younger, just to do something. Isn't it different. funny how that works when yeah. you're a kid? Like yeah. like when I was a kid, yeah, I, I became the athlete. Because my brother was the nerd and my sister was the artist. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm the athlete. But I was really a nerd artist. (laughs) (laughs) You can't Uh, get away from it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, it is time for your first song. What is it and why is it? Okay, so my first song is The Love Shack by Mm B-52s. I've heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's sort of – it's an unexpected adventure. Um, We were asked – my husband Scott and I were asked to become course directors – by the Howard Hughes Medical Institute is for a science education workshop where a whole bunch of scientists come together to learn how to do virus research with their undergraduates, and they train on how to do that, and then they go back to their universities and um, just develop it, put it into their curriculum. And so um, in the past, these workshops had been run by staff from from HHMI, the Howard Hughes, um, and this was the first year that they wanted faculty to run the workshops. And so it had never been done by faculty. Um, we were, you know, a huge opportunity, excited to do this, to be doing this over the summer. Um, we had no idea we could pull it off, and we just said, sure, I guess we're doing it. We packed you know, the two parrots, our, our teenage son, and two cars. We, you we, travel with parrots? We, we, we traveled. We drove up to Baltimore, <laughs> the whole family, sight unseen to this little apartment, which ended up being kind of in a seedy part of town. That was kind of interesting. Um, but we just took our whole family and had this adventure over the summer. And and so that that's what this, this song represents and, and our experiences there. What is the connection between the song and the, and the being there? Oh, so the song has to do with um, – so as – Course directors, um, sometimes we were referred to as cruise directors because this was – we do our planning meetings really early in the morning. We'd have breakfast with the participants and then we'd run the workshops um, and then – so that was a whole day thing. We'd have – lunch with them and then afternoon workshops and then dinner and then we then, you know, we had after hours, you know, drinks or whatnot. So it's the whole, whole day. And so we were just shuttling people back and forth, back and forth. And at one point, you know, um, some of the um, – Participants said, "Well, this is the Scott and Sharon show. They, they should, you guys should just karaoke." And we're like, oh, "No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think we can do this." And lo and behold, so there was an HHMI staff person who was helping to facilitate things as we were running the workshops. And uh, that night, he happened to just uh, hire a karaoke guy to come in <laughs> during our social hour at night. And so we were in, in a situation where we couldn't say no. And I had never, ever gotten in front of a mic and sang karaoke. So this was the song that played. And Scott and I did, did a duet on this one with our teenage son watching. You know, I think if I ever get thrust into a karaoke situation, <laughs> that's going to be my song. Um, it was really fun. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. I haven't listened to that in a long time, and it's still definitely burned into my brain. Um, who chose? You made it sound like maybe you guys didn't choose that. Did you choose that, um, or was it chosen for you? So we kind of looked at each other, and we we're like, we had to pick something. And I said, I don't know. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And we remember. So we actually, um, this is this is why this this trip was really special. We met in Baltimore. 
and we hadn't lived there in years. We met there and then ended up um, – I moved to New Jersey after that but came back and we got married and lived there as newlyweds. And so this became a summer where we um, shared with our son where mom and dad went to school, where we met, all our first this, this mm. and that. Um, at our first uh, rental property um, right behind behind Federal Hill, like the hill behind the hill. <laughs> um, so it's just kind of a little neighborhood, off-street parking and an alley. And so he got to see all that. Um, and so we – I think it was one of those songs that while we were dating and going out, it would play and we'd go dancing and that might have been something we'd dance to, certainly never sang to. Yeah. And we just – we're trying to figure out what to do, and that, that's the one that surfaced. Were you guys channeling your inner B-52s? Like, was he getting down there with the oh, baritone and Oh, everything? he was there, and I was, you know, tin roof, rusted. Yeah, we, we had it all in the, with the ah at the end, so yeah. What did your, uh, your, your son think? Oh, he was sitting back there. I don't know what he was thinking. His parents have done crazy things in front of him. Um, but yeah, I think he 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 got to see what his you know parents were about. He was helping with the workshops with the setup, and he got to see every aspect of it. And mm-hmm. I think but, he enjoyed it. I don't know. We need to ask him. Have you karaoke? He's going to listen to this probably, right? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> Send us an email. My song story at three song stories dot org. Um, uh, uh, have you karaoke since? Uh I want to say maybe the following summer. We were actually asked to be course directors the following summer. Mm-hmm. And that we purposely then had the karaoke come in like we scheduled that because apparently that was a big hit. So, yeah, Well, it's one of those things that people either hate or love. <laughs> even if they hate it, sometimes they love it. Um, uh, OK. Where does music fit into your life these days in terms of your listening habits? Um, my listening habits. Uh, so I listen to music in the car most of the time and I have satellite radio and I listen to 80s on 8 for the most part and so sort of flick back and forth. There's some um, sort of old um, uh, rock um, stations. Sometimes I veer up to the 90s, go back to the you know uh, uh, 20s. It, it just it, it just goes back and forth. So, but it's, it's mostly in the car, mostly satellite mostly radio. Mostly in the cars. Sometimes, and and also in my my class, I start off um, my cell biology class with a selection of music before class starts, and I'll pick something, um, whatever. You know, I happen to either be listening to in the car or something that I'm thinking about. Is that and your, how do you that. play it in the classroom? Do you have? Like I put a, it on the podium, so I put it right on our canvas. Or, oh, right, yeah, right. And then, so you can just pull up like I just Pandora pull it up. or something. Yeah, so I, I actually have the whole I call it pre uh, pre class uh, music or, or pre class music playlist or something, and I put that on canvas. So every day I will populate it with a brand new one oh. and surprise the students with that. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know if they you know like it, but then when we do labs, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back and I'll start off with that one and then let YouTube take it where it goes. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, and they seem to enjoy that. So they're working in the labs and listening to music and just having that relaxing atmosphere. I think it's it's good for them. And, and sometimes they say, hey, can we play this? And the t- teaching assistants, I have a, a few undergraduate teaching assistants. They'll man the podium and, and switch the music around. So we do listen to music in the classroom. Mm. Uh, when was the last time you bought music that was like a CD or a tape or a record or something like that? Can you remember? Um like a physical one as opposed yeah. to something that goes yes. in your iPod. Yeah, something now. that you can hold in your hand and you need another thing with it to make it make to sound. To make it make sound. Um, Natalie Merchant, uh, 10,000 Maniacs. This is early 1990s. I that was the last time you bought music? Oh, maybe. Wow. Maybe. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, maybe. It's been a while. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 when did you start making visual art? 
Was that uh, college? Was that more recently? So I want to say that I've kind of been doing it off and on as a hobby, but purposely going back to the summer in Baltimore, um, I wanted to introduce the visual identity to the workshops. And I know that the Howard Hughes Medical Institute has this, you know, logo and it's, you know, they have to go through lawyers to figure out, you know, what does what their identity look like? And I asked um, the, the the person that you know invited us to come over, would it be okay if I designed T-shirts and you know kind of bring that in so the workshop participants can have a sense of identity? And he's like, sure, go for it. That's where steampunk phage came. Oh. And so the very first design, I was looking for something that represented the group. Um, so that was the first design, and and then I just purposely um, and, and mindfully started to incorporate art, which I've always liked, into my career. Um, and so now there's very little boundaries between them. They just go back and forth. But I think that was the first um, just very directed effort. First, I asked permission, like, is this okay? And then he's like, yeah, go for it. And then I just said, are you sure? And then I just went for it. What do you make it with? Do you draw it freehand? Are you using a, like a CAD? Are you using Photoshop? Uh, like, it seems like it could be anywhere in that whole yeah. zone. So that first design, I didn't have a really good drawing program. So that was I merged it together using PowerPoint, believe it or not. Hey, hey, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And it was truly – it's a steampunk made from recycled parts. So I found images online and I repurposed them to create that image. But then after that, I I felt limited by the ability of PowerPoint to do what I had in my head. Sure. Um, And I didn't want to invest in um, Adobe Illustrator because now it's this package and it's a lot of money and you pay like this fee. It's not you just buy it. You have to keep – Paying yeah, for it. these days, yeah, especially. Um, but then I found another one called Affinity Designer, um, which so far does everything. It's a, it's a, it's like an Illustrator program. Does everything that Adobe does. I haven't. Is it like open source though? So it's just you can just use it. It's, it's fifty bucks. Okay. Pay, yeah, so it's it's a min- minimal fee, and and that's now I feel like the the productivity has expanded because I'm not limited by the ability to draw things uh, digitally. Are you using like a drawing tablet also, or it's all just with the mouse? Just with the, the mouse, click click and just get everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sports, athleticism, always been important to you, it um, seems like. It, it hasn't always been. I, I did play a little bit of uh, tennis in high school. Um, and then I just, uh, it, it, I guess growing up, um, you worked out if you needed to lose weight. That was the only reason to do right, that. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't really, uh, we didn't really have sort of examples of how to do that and, and how to go about it. Um I want to say that that happened more recently, which might lead to the second song. That okay. I don't know if that's it's time to go there, but I can talk a little bit more about that. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, let's let's move that way. Um. So yeah. So I, I want to say that the second song it could have been one of many on my iPod Nano playlist for when I run. Um. And this was a song. It's Titanium, uh, featuring Sia. Um, by David Guetta, and it's 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 a song that represents um, sort of mind over matter. Um, sometimes when you do something physical, it's it, it's it's a mind game, right? And so you have to somehow motivate your body to do something it really doesn't want to do. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. I had cancer in my 20s. Um, so I went through several rounds of ionizing radiation, which um, at the at the time diminished my lung capacity, and there were certain things that you know I, I had a lot of side effects. Um, and then in my late 30s, I ended up getting diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that destroys your thyroid, and so I found myself in my late 30s now. So I I no longer have a thyroid; it needed to be removed. Um, 
And so now chemically controlled, so this, so so the the hormones that regulate that your thyroid puts out regulate your energy levels, your mood, your well being. This is this is who you are. And I didn't necessarily want I didn't want my life to be regulated just by this pill. I needed to do more and purposely to to get my life in, in control as far as my well being, my physical fitness. And so I started bike riding uh, to work, so commute to work in the bike, just, you know, got my old mountain bike that I had, um, <clears throat> took off the, you know, tried it a few times with a big mountain bike tires that were too thick, and I was huffing and puffing. It took me forever, and it'd be sweaty by the time I get to campus. Switched out the tires for more thinner, you know. Yeah, roadie. Ro- roadie, yeah. yeah. And that was still, the frame was too heavy, and I was carrying my laptop. I tried a few things. Eventually, I upgraded to a hybrid, so I was a little lighter with a bike, and I got paneers that I, that I ordered from the Netherlands with cows on the side to put <laughs> everything that I needed. Um, you know, Florida, it rains, right? And so as long as I was able to get into work, um, when it wasn't raining, I wouldn't mind getting wet on the way home because sure. I was just going to go home as long as I could protect my electronics. And yeah. so – I did that for a while, <clears throat> and then it's still I kind of needed more. So um, a friend suggested that I, hey, try working out with this personal trainer. I started doing that. I've been doing that for I don't know seven years now, um, and so that you know, and then I went from there to all right, what else can I do? Um, can I run down the block? No, not 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 initially. I had to sort of train myself how to run. Um, my personal trainer um, taught me how to sprint. I had no stride. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, do this, do that. And I don't know what you're telling me. My body doesn't do that. I don't know what you're telling me. Um, so then I said, well, okay, can I do a 5K? Can I do this? And then I went to a half marathon. And then I said I did a couple of – several of those. And then I set my goal to run a full marathon. And so this song represents – um, you know, what I needed to do to get there. And, 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 and so there's sort of stories behind how that training process went and how my physical well-being sort of improved. And then it became a lifestyle as opposed to just something that you did, you know, every once in a while. Mm. And you would listen to this during some of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This was in my iPod Nano, which um, um, my son and, and husband gave to me. It's a little purple one. And it says um, mas uno, which is plus one. So love you more than that. I love you more than plus one. So that they gave that to me, so I carry that when I run. Hmm. Well, let's listen to it. Uh, this is Titanium featuring Sia by David David Guetta uh, from his 2011 album Nothing But the Beat. What's that make you feel? Wow. I get thirsty. I'm tired. <laughs> I feel like, you know, when you're running so fast or you're not really fast but so hard and you're tired and you, you don't even see what's around you. You're just kind of running because that's what your body's – you're training it to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it takes me back to those really long runs. Um, I was really, really bad at them um, initially. Um, I, I couldn't figure out how to carry my water when I ran. So uh, I tried, you know, holding you know, water bottles in your hand and these packs and this backpack thing and the water sloshes around. And so my stride, my gait would be just – messed up and I just hated it. I hated it. So one of the things that um, uh, so g- training for the really long runs, I recruited um, Scott to help me out with it. He would uh, he would park. So he would drop me off, I would say, in the middle of nowhere. But this is where Bonita Beach Road started. Um, there was a at the time they were making some houses and just right where it started, he would just drop me off there. Just pitch dark. Um, it's probably like 530 in the morning. And he would just uh, drive two miles 
and wait for me to get to him. And he would Aww. offer, <laughs> uh, he would take a nap for t- <laughs> for as long as it took you to get there. Sometimes he brought his laptop to work or whatnot or a book to read or just, you know, primarily nap initially. And then um, he would just have either Gatorade or water or the little gummy things because uh, I had it still to regulate my, my energy levels. I still had to work on that. That was not easy for me. And so I just would stop, eat, and then he'd, you know, drive two more miles and I'd meet him up till you know, the distance increased. Um, um, and so that, that was how, how we did it. Um, so I, it, I felt like I don't run the big long distances anymore. I'll still do a little sprints here and there as I'm training. So no, no marathons on your radar? Not, not, not. It, it seems in some ways I, I wanted to do it because I wanted to prove to myself that this was – that I was not limited physically, that this was something that even despite what I had gone through with my health, that I was, I was still able to do things that I thought would never be something that I could do. And so it was sort of a, a, a goal that I set for myself. But then in some ways I felt it was a little selfish because – I had recruited someone else into it and, and get them to wake up early when they obviously on Saturday mornings they want to sleep in. Um, so I felt like, you know, if I were to keep on training, um, unless I figured out how to carry my own water, um, I, I just didn't want to be, you know, um, he, he said he didn't mind. It was okay. <laughs> but it was a 1996 Jeep Cherokee. So one time it broke down, right? And so um, I'm waiting at the next two mile marker and he's not there because we I, I knew where to be. I, I had a I could uh, clock the distance, and he wasn't there. He wasn't there. So I got to the closest. Um, um, I went to a, a drugstore in the corner, and I said, hey, can I use your phone? I'm running. I'm supposed to meet somebody. I'm worried something happened. Uh, so no, no reply, no reply. I'm calling, no reply. And and so – and then I see like there's a smoke coming out from where I think the car should be. So there was like there's a little fire or something. I got really worried. I didn't know what was going on. And so I ran to the next two-mile marker thinking, well, maybe he'll meet me there. And he wasn't there. And then I finally ran two more miles. I get to somebody's gatehouse and I get there and I'm crying. <laughs> I don't know. Something's happened. Something's happened. And so I called again. No answer. No answer. Um, so anyway, so it ends up that you know I'm still following the course because I figured if he's going to find me, he's going to know where yeah, I am. Yeah, he's going to be tracking Because I don't have progress. a phone on me. I have to stop and, and gra- grab somebody's phone. Like I said, I don't like to carry anything when I'm running. And so eventually I see this tow truck pulling <laughs> a red Jeep Most Cherokee. Most relieved you've ever been, been to see a tow truck. Oh, my God. So they're pulling in, and it's the tow truck driver and his wife, I believe, and Scott crammed into the front seat. And the, and the Jeep's in the back, and I'm dead tired. I haven't had anything to drink, and I'm just tired. I'm crabby. It's just a bad run altogether. And so uh, the tow truck driver says, you want to ride? So there's no room. And Scott's like, well, we'll just meet you at home. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still had seven more miles to go. Oh, no. Well, that's training. <laughs> yeah. So, But he was fine. Everything was all good. Um, so that worked out. <laughs> that's hilarious. I drove a, a 95 Jeep Cherokee oh, yeah? until it had 308,000 miles on it. <laughs> we still have our 96. We keep so putting tell her, money Tell her how into much it. you bought it for and how much you sold it for. I, I bought it when it had 170,000 miles for, <laughs> for $1,100. Oh, my and goodness. And I sold it when it had 308,000 miles for $500. Oh, wow. I hear. I mean, people want them. So, yeah, yeah you can keep them running. Yeah, Absolutely. No, it was one of my favorite vehicles. <laughs> um, are you a dancer other than in your chair during this show? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm not a trained dancer, but I love to dance. I hear music and it just kind of goes through me. I can't I can't help it. I just um, I'm one of those people that if I hear music, if, even if I've never heard it before, I'll get the goosebumps. And, and even beyond that, it doesn't even have to do with the lyrics. I can start to cry. Just just it, it's mm-hmm. just I 
I guess. And so, yeah, I, I, I like to move and I like to, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, can you remember your first slow dance as a younger person? Oh, my goodness. This had to be junior high school. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think it was uh, – it was – uh, we had end of year parties, and uh-huh. this was a school thing. It was a school dance, and the expectation was that all girls and boys were going to dance. Um, I don't even remember. It wasn't even like anybody that I was going out with. People just were pairing right. up and dancing. Um, but yeah, that was uh, probably in our middle school uh, gymnasium. <laughs> that's yeah, that's where mine yeah. was too. Fort yeah. Myers Middle School. Um, uh, do you have any live musical experiences, like seeing a show that would pop to mind as being? Uh, noteworthy in your memory. So I didn't really go to a lot of concerts. Okay. Like, yeah, I didn't. I I think um, my first concert was Ten Thousand Maniacs. Oh, cool. That was, and so I didn't. Um, it was. It wasn't anything that was number one when I was young. I was not allowed to go. I mean, I uh, just you know would say, "Hey, my friends are going." No, you're not going. Um, so that that was a thing, and then it just. It didn't happen. That was just so, protective parents, basically. Yeah, very protective parents, and so. But then I had friends. This was already in graduate school. I had friends that were going to see uh, Ten Thousand Maniacs. This was their last time together, and they said, "We have an extra ticket. Do you want to go?" And I said, "Sure." And so I, I went. That I, that was my first concert. I was in my twenties already. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about singing? Um, you know, are you? You said you've done karaoke twice. <laughs> are you a singer like on your own time? Like if you're in the car, do you sing alone? I, do you I sing s- in front of your family? I sing in the car. I sing in the shower. And for this most recent play, I actually had to sing in public. Which that was, was my next question. How'd that go? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not supposed to be sung beautifully, so that worked out. <laughs> oh well, perfect. Um, uh, so let's talk uh, real quick about the theater thing. So how did this arise? I know kind of your backstory when it comes to this, but this is all new for you, right? It is absolutely all new. Um, so this actually leads to the third song. I don't know. This Are, are you planning this? or <laughs> No, it's just how this show goes. Um, we're going to we're gonna pause there then. Okay. All right. And then we're going to come back to Got there it. in just a little bit. Got it. Um, uh, do you have a favorite song to sing? Favorite song? Um, no, not really. It's whatever comes. Uh, so I'll play like Spotify mm-hmm. on, and whatever's playing, I'll just sing along to it. I, there's no one favorite song. Do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you'd like to sing along with us to now in that chair in front of that microphone? Is this like a new question? <laughs> oh, no, no, this is not. You just haven't heard the right episode. Oh, no. I mean, there's the Brady Bunch, but that's – no, we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> How's that start, Richard? Bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, bum. Here's, Here's a, a story, story of a lovely, lovely lady. <laughs> we got to stop. This is not <laughs> – Oh, oh, no. We got two words out anyway. <laughs> um, uh, what about like Broadway musicals? Is that something you're into or that uh, you've ever gone to see or you care about? I'm, I'm, I've seen a couple. Like I saw Cats when I was um, in college. It's, it's not something that I've done a lot of. I would in, in graduate school, we did go see some operas in uh, in. Birmingham, there was actually a, a theater that had a lot of operas come through, and we got season tickets, so that was pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you seen any here, like at Barber B. Man or any of that stuff? Initially, when we moved here, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have a, a one year we did that, but we haven't done it recently. I think the last thing we saw was the Nutcracker, um, but that was a while ago. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about movie musicals? Has that ever been a thing you've been into? No. Not, not really? Not really, no. Okay. So now we're going to go back in time to where we were when I asked you. And then you said it's going to lead to your third song. Right. So where were we? I forget now. So um, you were talking about 
theater and where was it going? Oh, singing on stage. Singing on stage and da da da. Yeah. Um, so, okay. what is your third song? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, my third song is um, "A Thousand Years" by Christina Perry. Um, and so, this 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 is sort of um, kind of where I am in my life right now. It's sort of a an, it's an emotional transformation. My son um, is finishing his second year in college. And when he left his freshman year, you know, I was fully prepared, knew it was happening. I have one son. Um, empty nest just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's it, – I've gone from, you know, for many, many years being a mom and, and, and a mom on a day-to-day basis, right? I'm still a mom, but he doesn't need me like he needed me when he was younger. And how does, how does one – you know, who, who am I? You know, if, if I'm not day-to-day mom, who am I? So – it's been sort of a rough couple of years, but I've learned a lot about myself. And this is where the theater thing came in. So I was asked – so Scott had been – he did a play with Ghostbird, And I had – while he was doing that play, I would go to rehearsals and watch and see what was going on and went to every performance that they had for that one. I thought, oh, this is really cool. And then um, and then Jim Brock uh, said, well, you know, so then Scott got asked to, to do another one. This was everyone on this train. And, and so he, he got a cast for that one. And I thought, that's really cool. So I ended up reading the script. And I and, and it ended up being that I had somebody else in mind for the role. Eventually, Jim said, here, I think you'd be good at doing the role of mother, which was one of the lead roles for that play. And I said, you realize I have absolutely no theater experience. I think it'd be super fun and challenging. I'd love to try that. With that particular role, um, there's one scene where Mother, so the character, um, needs to shoot her horse because the horse is sick and, you know, shouldn't, you know, you have to put it down. And so I have to enter the scene um, where I emotionally have to go from zero to 60 miles per hour already feeling the feels of um, just being in the moment and just, you know, you're you're outside. It was an outdoor venue. You're outside. How do you get yourself there? And so I – went to music for it because I knew that listening to certain things would make me feel a certain way, maybe, you know, um, feel certain feelings. And so I, I just Googled, you know, songs that make you sad. Just well, what the heck? Let huh. me just, I was researching, right? This is what huh. I do. Let me figure out how this works out. And, and I just, I listened to many, many, many songs that came up. And this one, the first time I heard it, I said, that's the one, that's the one. And I couldn't figure out at the time why it made me sad, but, um, Oh, geez. <laughs> Here he goes. So I remembered – so my little sister and I were pregnant at the same time. And she has a little boy or she had a little boy and I had a miscarriage. And I remember this was a song that she sung to her boy. It's a lullaby. And so anyway, so it triggered feelings like that. But for the play, it didn't – I wasn't really thinking about the miscarriage. I was thinking about – You got this. I got this. I had to drop my son off at school in his dorm. And then I had to say goodbye. Hmm. And I knew that my life would be different from then on. Yeah. And so I play that back. And that brings those memories, and here I am. Yeah. Instant zero to sixty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I could be in the role at the moment right now. I could be playing a part when I'm crying my eyes out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw that show. Yeah. With my daughter. And you it's did. amazing to hear the backstory of how that all works. Yeah. 
my daughter, who still has another few years before I have to have that same moment. Yeah, the tissues. They're there. Yeah, there they are. Oh. Yeah, but it's 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 hard, right? Because you go through. I mean, you your life changes, and even though you know, I did things like um, I he and I, my son and I, designed a quilt that he took off, you know, to school, and I was working on that, you know, a year before. Because and you know, you see it coming, you see it coming, you plan ahead, you think, you know, with schools this and that, and you go. Look at schools, and you 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 look at brochures, and, and you're you're ready. You think you're ready, and then it happens. That and instant, then it's just so real. And that instant, when they walk away, hmm. where's he go to school? He's in Chicago. He's at the School of the Arts Institute, Art Institute of Chicago, and he's he's doing great. He's actually coming home on Sunday in time for our anniversary. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's listen to this song together. It's, uh, well, you haven't even said what, or have you said what it is? A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. From the 2011 album, The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part One. When was the last time you listened to that? Yesterday. (laughs) I actually still use it. Um, So I had a performance for um, The Shadow Box with New Phoenix Theater. And I have to get into the role of Agnes. um, And it helps me get into character. So... There's a really big monologue in Act Two, so I play it during intermission and just put it in the same little purple iPod Nano that my son and my husband gave me, and I'll play the song, and it, it gets me because there's a lot of stuff going on. It's it's a, it's a it's 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 a play with um, eight leading roles, and so and there's a lot of action going on. And so if I'm listening to what's going on on stage, I I, I can't get my feels. I can't get there because I'm distracted. You know, you're in the moment, so I got to get myself in the moment for the role of Agnes. And so this is what I play, and, and it's still effective, as you can see. <laughs> Isn't that magical, though, how, uh, how, how sounds could do that? Absolutely, us? yeah. You know, even the scientist in you probably you know, tries to figure <laughs> that out. Um, uh, um, is that something that is like commonly done in the world of theater? Because it seems like such a great technique. I, I don't know. I can't answer that because I'm so new to theater. So, I don't so know. nobody taught you that and no, you just decided just, to do that. I needed to figure out how to get there myself. And so one of the things that I – I mean I've, I've fallen in love with theater. I think in some ways it has sort of helped me – uh, deal with things that I've been going through and, and, and just open up an, a new path for me that I'm loving. Um, but I just needed to figure out how to how to get there. And, and this is something just based on my own experiences. How do I get myself to feel some music, um, you know, can change your mood. It can help you feel a certain way. And, and so I can very quickly go from I can go from so the script can be dry, right? And so, and once you memorize it, you get the words down. But it's not how you, from what I've learned, it's you don't try to say the words like you know. I'll say it this way. This sounds better this way. It's more like okay, the words are in your head. They're memorized. They should come out. You have to have that feeling, and then you feel, and then the words come out like they should, and they won't come out wrong. So mm. you shouldn't have to have to figure out. I'll emphasize this versus that. No, you have the feeling first. Be in the moment. And then just speak from your soul and then just expose that and be naked in that way. Mm. What's your son's name? Nico. Nico. Yeah. Would he have any idea of any of this backstory? Um, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so he wouldn't even necessarily know this song? Um, I don't know if he knows it's on my – no, probably not. Yeah. No. Mm. He knows I play stuff. He just may not know what. And you know what's crazy is, you know, songs have escaped our podcast. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I've heard – we've all heard, like all of us that are making it, we'll hear songs out in the world and then suddenly we're like, 
back in the mem- you know so like if I ever hear this song again <laughs> I'm going to be here with you and I'm going to be dropping your son off with you and I'm going to be at the collaboratory you ramping you know what I mean it's like it, 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 it's like a virus right <laughs> and when you drop your daughter off at school exactly oh I'll God. listen to Play this on the way home and just cry your eyes out oh man it's so good I can't believe we Richard I can't believe we get to do this feels like cheating it does <laughs> um uh, what was your process for coming down to your three songs? Um, so the third song, believe it or not, was I instantly knew that was because that's been a song that I've used. And it, it's not necessarily because of the lyrics. I mean, it, it is just it's it's what's effective. Um, then the the song, so the karaoke song, that, that was kind of special. It was just that whole trip. I remember um, it was such an adventure with that one. Um, we drove two cars up to... Baltimore, and I was driving with the, um, a lot of the luggage, um, and then Scott had uh, Nico and one of the birds, and I had the other bird in the back seat. So we have two Jeeps now, so we actually got a Jeep so that we can drive everything up. But we were at a slot light somewhere in North Florida, and Scott's behind me with Nico, and I'm parked, you know, waiting for the light to turn, and I see him do, and I can't see this in the radio, but like a heart sign with your fingers mm-hmm. in front of your heart. And I see this through the rear view mirror as we're heading out. So he's saying, I love you as we're going off in this adventure. And so I knew that that song captured that moment, that summer, everything got put together. Um, and then the the one that I use sort of the physical transformation, getting myself, you know, going from biking to just jogging down the block to running the Miami Marathon in 2015, that was just, you know, what did I have to do to do that? And and sometimes beyond the music, so that took me so far. But then there's another piece to that. So I knew that you know, I had never run the full distance before the full marathon. Mm. So I was hoping that I would be a finisher because I didn't know if I could I might just not be able to. So I went to all my friends, close friends and family members, and I asked them to give me something that I could recall at a particular mile marker. I knew the music was going to give up. It wasn't going to be enough. And so I said, give me the mile marker and just give me something that we've shared that I could play back in my head. Um, And so, you know, I had – so honestly, the whole mile marker thing didn't work out. But I did pull out whenever I felt like I needed something, like when the music wasn't working, I was – my body was done. I was tired. I would uh, play back as as needed. And so I I would cry and I would laugh and I would smile as I was playing things back. So I – in particular, I remember one – this is a really happy moment that, you know, sometimes when you have a happy moment and you cry because it's so happy kind of thing. So the one image that Nico gave me, he said, Mom, remember the snowflakes? So he was born in New Orleans, and it doesn't snow a lot in New Orleans, but the day that we took him home from the hospital, there were flurries. And I was waiting outside the door of what looked to be like the emergency room, and just leaving the hospital. Scott was getting the car, pulling it around to pick me up, and I had this little boy that I was taking home, and it was snowing, so I'd play mm-hmm. that back. Hmm. Hmm. Um, was there a fourth song that 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 was ever in contention, um, or was it? There were maybe songs from like younger years, um, but I th- kind of these songs can kind of have helped form the person that I am now, and sort of reflect where I am in my life right now, as opposed to just a historical. Yeah. This happened way back, and I was listening to this in high school, kind of thing, and mm. and it just didn't resonate as much. Do you have a favorite band? 
that stuck with you the most for oh, your life? Oh, well, Guns N' Roses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Sweet Child of Mine comes out, I break out my air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you ever get you, – you probably didn't get to see them live. You said no, you haven't really seen much no, live music. No, that what I would have loved, loved to see that one, yeah. Um, uh, is there um, – if you had to pick an album that could be like the one that you get to listen to but you don't get to listen to anything else, is there like a perfect album? Whoa, that's a hard one. Um, I don't think there's a perfect album. I don't think I have one. Okay. Is that a fair answer? That's a fair answer. <laughs> um, uh, um, um, what would your 14-year-old self think of uh, who you are? Oh, she'd have no idea. Yeah? 14-year-old <laughs> self would not have been doing this with you. Um, that would have still been super super shy, Sharon? Super shy, um, would not be doing this, would not. I, yeah, I don't uh, – yeah, no. It, it's I've, I've grown up throughout the years quite a bit and I'm a lot more confident than I was when I was 14. Um, so maybe she'd be happy with what you've I, done. I, I think she'd be surprised and she'd be like, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> and well, what about like the whole like running a lab thing? I mean, oh, would that, that, that would – That was not. Yeah. No, I was apparently the life plan was supposed to be a medical doctor. The The whole PhD thing was, was not in the cards. I, yeah, that was not encouraged but that decided to do that route instead of – medical school. So. Uh, are there any songs you will avoid listening to for any reason? Yes. Um, I was actually thinking about this because I knew you would ask. Um, there is a song that when I was sick and recovering from cancer in the early mid-90s that I would play sort of as an encouragement song. Um, and I pulled it up because I forgot what it was called. I tried to block it from my memory. It was uh, You Gotta Be by Desiree. So it's like listen to as the day unfolds, uh, challenge what the future holds. Mm-hmm. That uh, you got to be bad, you got to be all this. And so I would play it because it was, it would sort of motivate me to sort of get through the day and and just you know you got to be strong, got to put up with all the stuff that's going on around you and to you. And then it got to the point where I would listen to it and it would physically make me ill. It would remind me of illness. It would remind me of treatments. It would remind me of doctors. And so I couldn't listen to it anymore. And so now I can, but there were several years where I, I if it would play somewhere and even if I wasn't in control of the radio, I'd say, turn that off, turn that off. I can't, I can't, I can't. It would actually, I would sometimes want to throw up is what, I, that's how bad it was. Hmm. And in that part of the 90s, it was everywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At first, I was like, I'm not going to know what song you're talking about. Then you said those two lines. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, uh, before your final thoughts, um, we've instituted this new process where we're going to have you challenge three people to um, you know, maybe be guests someday and or you're going to share this with them. So uh, I know okay. you had two isolated before we went live. Have I, you come up with a third? I think I have three now. Um, let's see. I I'd like to see if um, her name is Pardis Sabetti. She's an investigator at um, she's at MIT, um, the Broad Institute. Uh, excellent scientist. She has family in Florida, so maybe you can get her to come down if if she can, or you can get her. But she's uh, she's awesome. She's had a lot of uh, really unique life experiences, and she's just a great motivator. How do you, okay. how do you know her? I know her from working. We've uh, co-published together. We worked together on Zika virus and um, wrote a really good uh, story about um, the introduction of Zika in Florida a few years back. So that's how I know her. But she's she's very good. She's a, a really good person, good friend. Cool. Um, let's see. The second one I want to say, so I think you should talk to James Robinson, who is the director for um, the Shadowbox um, that is currently the, the play that I'm in in New Phoenix. And he, he has an interesting story. He's, a, he's also the uh, uh, 
foundation director at De La Salle Academy. Oh, okay. Um, so I, he has just a really good life story, and I think he, he would both want to listen to this that we're doing today, and I think he'd be good to bring on. And then the third one, I'm going to call him out, Carl Semesco, women's basketball coach. I think you should get him to come out. He's He loves music, and I think he might have some interesting things to talk about regarding music and just his career and his life. Well, he's who's teaching you basketball, right? He's, uh, yes. So, <laughs> so he's yeah, he's been very kind to help uh, a couple of his friends figure out how to, you know, so he's, he's the best coach ever, and we're learning how to play basketball. We started last summer, and it's really fun. Well, you know, and it just so happens that I've been trying to figure out a way to get some of the uh, FGCU athletics people on the show. Oh, and there I think you go, maybe Carl. There you go. Hear that, Carl? <laughs> We're coming for you. Um, okay. Well, that is all we have here. Sharon, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think we just about covered everything. <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. No, thank you so much for doing it and opening up. We really appreciate it. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer. Christophus is executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, I'm going back a couple of years to the final sort of ceremonial open mic they held at French Connection in downtown Fort Myers during its final going-away party. It was closing after being an institution for decades. My at-the-time 12-year-old daughter Guinevere had never performed at an open mic, but really wanted to because the French had been such a big part of her life for so long because that's where her mom worked. She'd sung this song to an instrumental track at the sixth grade talent show that year, but really wanted to do it for real, and so started trying to learn it on the ukulele. But at that point in her life, she was just getting started, so I could tell right away that that was not going to work out. So I offered to lend an assist with my ukulele, despite my general reticence about playing in front of people. And it wound up being super magical, and one of the most intense moments of my life, actually. The place was packed, and as we got underway, she totally froze up. I dug deep into my dad energy reserve and managed to keep my cool and kept playing. And as the chord progression came back around, I looked her right in the eyes and mouthed, you can do it. And sure enough, she did. We worked our way through the song together. And other than mispronouncing Michelle Pfeiffer's name, she killed it. And we reveled in the ovation that followed. Ah, live music and a daughter's love. Not much better than that. This is Riptide by Vance Joy. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Together, but I'll miss you forever.